0: Welcome to the Texas Conflict Coach Radio Program. If you've ever experienced or engaged in destructive or unresolved conflict, then you know it leads to broken relationships, distrust, and damaging results. Our program will help you manage and resolve conflict effectively with strategies, valuable resources, and support. Since 2009, our radio program hosted guest experts from around the globe sharing their perspectives, experiences, and expertise while giving you food for thought. If you can't listen live, then download and listen to any of our 300-plus podcasts in our library at texasconflictcoach.com. So sit back, relax, or join the conversation every Tuesday evening or tweet us at TXConflictCoach.
1: of attacks on the way home from the bus stop, bullying in the classroom, and assaults in school hallways are all too frequent reminders that our community and many others throughout the US are still not safe places for lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and questioning young people. Perhaps what is most heartbreaking is that some youth had come to believe that this is normal that this is part of growing up or that this is how life is for LGBTQ individuals. As part of our LGBT Conflict Series, addressing the needs of our LGBTQ youth, we will introduce the work that SMILE is doing. Now, SMILE stands for Sexual Minority Youth Assistance League, and they're working to change all of that by providing an inclusive environment and empowering D.C.-area LGBTQ youth to be leaders and advocates for themselves and their peers in the broader community. They provide youth with the opportunities, support, and skills they need to de-escalate conflicts as they occur and to work within their community to root out these conflicts from their source. Now, joining me for the show uh, tonight is Andrew Barnett, Executive Director of SMILE, Smile is the only community-based organization solely dedicated to supporting lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and questioning youth in the metro Washington, D.C. area. Andrew Barnett joined the Smile staff in 2005 and was named executive director in February 2009. Native to the Washington, D.C. metro area, Barnett began his involvement in LGBT youth advocacy by co-founding a gay-straight alliance as a senior in high school, and he continued his involvement in LGBT student organizing while obtaining his B.A. at the Evergreen State College in Olympia, Washington. In 2010, Andrew Barnett received the Metro Weekly Next Generation Award, which recognizes the accomplishments of LGBT activists, artists, and leaders under 30. Andrew, what an accomplishment. Thank you for joining us on this show tonight.
2: Thank you very much for having me. I'm very excited to be here and really appreciate you taking the time to talk about LGBTQ youth issues on your show.
1: Well, absolutely. You know, and, you know, that's almost a mouthful, isn't it, LGBTQ? And we've had a lot of acronyms in our LGBT conflict series, and we've kind of alluded it to in the opening, but what does LGBTQ stand for uh, as SMILE refers to it?
2: Sure. So, At SMILE, when we say LGBTQ, we're talking about youth who are lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and questioning. And so we work with youth who are maybe encountering issues related to their sexual orientation and also to their gender identity. We also include the Q at SMILE because we know that working with youth who are questioning, those who are still unsure of where they fit in in terms of their sexual orientation or gender identity, is very important. Um, because we know that youth who are going through the questioning period, you know, very often really need support and can feel very isolated and sometimes aren't in a in a place where they can really ask for that support.
1: Well, I'm glad that you, you clarified that because I think some people think that Q stands for queer. And I guess in some of the LGBT community that it does stand for that. Is that right?
2: That is true. Um, That's one of the great things about the LGBT community. Uh, We're such a diverse and large community, and there are so many different identities um, that folks claim within our community. And so for some folks and for some organizations, the Q does stand for queer. And we do also work with youth who identify as queer. But we, uh, for SMILE, the Q, first and foremost, means questioning.
1: Okay. So very good uh, clarification there. Now, something else that you said, and I think we cannot – say it enough or clarify it enough for people, but you talked about youth when they are talking about their sexual orientation and gender identity. So could you just clarify for the audience, what is the difference between the two?
2: Absolutely. I'm glad you asked that question. So sexual orientation refers to who folks are attracted to. Now, that includes who folks are sexually attracted to it also includes who folks are emotionally attracted to, who people dream about, who people want to spend their lives with, who they fall in love with. Gender identity refers to a person's internal sense of their own gender, who they feel themselves to be, the gender they feel most comfortable with, the, the clothes they feel most comfortable in, um, the gender that the gender expression that makes the most sense to them for themselves. For some folks, their gender identity corresponds to their biological sex or their sex assigned at birth, the, the M or the F on their birth certificate. But for some folks, their gender identity is different from their biological sex, and uh, the gender that they live their lives as, the gender that they feel themselves to be, may not correspond with the biological sex on their birth certificate. And so those folks um, fall into the transgender community.
1: Okay, so I'm going to make sure I understand what you just said. So someone could identify themselves as a male who has male genitalia, and and, and so their gender, gender identity is associated with being male and they are physically male. However, their sexual orientation could be that they're attracted to males.
2: Exactly.
1: Okay. All right. Very good. And then the transgender one is that they have male genitalia, but they feel their gender identity is more female.
2: Exactly. So okay. uh, when we're talking about sexual orientation, it's about who people are attracted to. And when we're talking about gender identity, it's who they feel themselves to be.
1: Okay. Very, very and the, good.
2: the two often get conflated, and they're really actually very separate issues.
1: Okay, very good, because I, I think that does get very, and not only conflated, but very, you know, in addition to that, very confusing and complex for those who don't study this area or understand this area, and I imagine that really causes some conflict, and uh, and not just conflict, but a lot of misunderstandings, stereotypes, myths, and all of those kinds of things that come up.
2: <laughs> Absolutely.
1: All right. So talking about conflict and issues, then what are the issues that LGBTQ youth are encountering right now?
2: I'm glad you asked that. As we look at LGBTQ youth uh, living in 2012, we look at the issues that they're facing, both based on my experience working with individual young people here at Smile, where we have after-school programs for LGBTQ youth, and also looking at the social science research that's available. We know that Youth who identify as LGBTQ are at greater risk than their heterosexual peers for a number of negative risk factors. The issues that we see consistently being the the biggest ones that LGBTQ youth are experiencing include an increased risk for homelessness, increased risk for HIV, AIDS, and STD risk behavior. We also see LGBTQ youth being far more likely to report being bullied and harassed in schools and in their community. We also see LGBTQs being at greater risk for alcohol and substance abuse. And we also see an increased risk among LGBTQ young people for mental health issues and suicidal risk behavior.
1: Okay. So in my mind, everything seemed like, okay, I'd expect that, except homelessness. So I'm surprised by that. What? Tell me more about why are they at greater risk for being homeless.
2: I'm glad that you asked about that. It's actually one of the most pressing issues facing LGBTQ young people today, and it's one that a lot of people may not be aware of. We see uh, at SMILE, and uh, both here in our youth center and also across the city um, that we work in, which is Washington, D.C., we see the young people who are LGBTQ are at greater risk for homelessness, in part, sometimes because they may have been um, kicked out of their family homes when their parents or guardians find out that they're LGBTQ. We also see young people who choose to run away from home because they're afraid of the rejection that they might face, and, uh, and believe that living on their own is is better than living in uh, in a home where they, you know, may not be may not be accepted, um, may not feel safe, may not feel comfortable. We don't have as much data about LGBTQ youth who are homeless as we as we would like to, um, because many of the surveys and um, research that exists about homeless youth don't separate LGBTQ youth um, and heterosexual youth. The research that we do have shows us that as many as 40% of the homeless youth population identify as LGBTQ, and based on a smile we've actually done focus groups and talked to our young people about the issues they're facing and how they're seeing them play out, both among themselves and in the lives of their peers and their friends. And we know that when young people who are LGBTQ are experiencing homelessness, that they are they're at greater risk for a lot of the other factors that we talked about earlier. They may be engaging in survival sex to get shelter and money um, to survive for basic, basic needs like food, um, and they uh, they also are, you know, far less likely to be going to school and to be um, taking the steps they need to take to grow into happy, healthy adults. So it really is a huge issue and one that we certainly need to look at in terms of supporting our LGBTQ youth.
1: Are you finding that some of these LGBTQ youth? Um, are are showing up at your doorstep, these ones that are either being kicked out or running away? And and if if so, what do you do when that happens?
2: Absolutely. So we have an after-school youth center that's open every day of the week. Uh, And we also, you know, during the day we have six full-time staff members. So we're here during the day. We may not have youth programs going on, but we are a space that youth come to, particularly when they're in crisis. And we do see a number of youth who come to our doors because they have no place to go, because they have uh, either been kicked out of their homes or they've been um, on the streets for weeks. Um, we also will be working with young people. You know, they'll be coming to, uh, for example, we have a, a rap group every week, which is like an open support group. And as we get to know them, as they come to our programs, we realize that they may they may not identify as homeless, but they are functionally homeless. They may be couch surfing, which means they're staying with friends and, um, you know, literally in some cases crashing on the couch until they can no longer stay with that friend and they have to find a new place to stay. But they have no permanent address. They have no space to really call their own. So when we encounter this at Smile, whether it's a youth coming to us for help or we realize they may need this help, we have partnerships with providers in the local region. Uh, We don't actually provide Shelter at SMILE, but we can pick up the phone and refer them to either emergency shelter or transitional living program based on what their needs are. And we also go out and do community education where we train providers, um, folks who work with youth through other agencies about LGBTQ youth issues so that when we're picking up the phone and making those referrals, these are organizations that we have a relationship with. So we know that those that are are young people are going to be treated well when they go to those organizations.
1: Okay. Now, when you say youth, what age range are we talking about here?
2: So at Smile, our age range is 13 to 21.
1: And, and it, are there ever occasion that you get referrals or, or, or youth that are younger than 13? And, and what do you do with them if they're younger than 13?
2: You know, it actually has happened. Um, and it's something that hap- has happened – doesn't happen often, but it has happened more recently – in the last five years than it probably ever had before. And that's not surprising. Uh, We know that the average age of coming out is coming down dramatically. Mm. And uh, the most recent studies show that the average age of coming out is as early as 13, which, if you contrast it to just 10 years ago, it was closer to um, 18. And, And before that, it was 23. And so young people are coming out. And uh, as LGBTQ, much, much younger. So it makes sense that they would be looking to access services at an LGBTQ youth center. Um, when youth get referred to us who are under 13, we're not able to connect them to our programs until they do turn 13. But we can provide them with resources. Um, very often, youth who are coming to us below our age range are, coming, are being referred by their parents. And so um, what we will generally do is, uh, you know, sit down with their parents, have a meeting, talk to them, tell them about SMILE, um, you know, tell the young person about SMILE on our programs, um, maybe refer the parents to PFLAG, uh, Parents and Friends of Lesbians and Gays, which has support groups for parents, and, you know, make sure that we have a connection with them so that when that young person does turn 13, they can, they can access our programs, but also so that we're giving them supports before then because you know that, you know, and sometimes, when parents come to us and it, it, you know, it seems like it's a, a great home environment and the parent is very accepting and very nurturing. And sometimes parents come to us and they're really struggling and they really, you know, need some help and they need some, some, some support.
1: Okay, very good. Okay, well, I'm glad that you clarified that because, you know, I wasn't sure. And and in that research study that showed that the uh, coming out age has dramatically dropped, did they say uh, any indicators, and I know I'm kind of asking off the cuff here, but was there any indicators about why that was happening?
2: You know, in that study, there wasn't. Um, And I don't know that there's been any research that's looked into that in a scientific way. Um, but I will say that based anecdotally, based on what we're seeing at Smile, based on the conversations that we're having with young people, I think that a lot of it has to do with the fact that there's just much more information out in our culture about LGBTQ people and LGBTQ communities than there used to be. Um I'm thinking about uh the the fact that there are a lot more openly LGBT actors and National figures, as well as you know, characters on popular television programs. You know, everyone who watches Glee knows Kirk, who's an openly gay character on that. Mm. Um, And and the internet has also really changed has changed a lot for young people, and it's given them access to information they may not have had access to before. So now a young person can you know Google LGBTQ Youth Center and find Smile. Um, whereas you know 20 years ago that wasn't an option, so I think that both of those things have impacted the average age of coming out. I think another thing that's really interesting when you look at this at these statistics is that the average age of people becoming aware of their LGBTQ identity has not changed a lot over the years. Um, you know, if you go back to the studies 10 years ago when um, you know folks are coming out a little bit later in adolescence. Very often, they're still pointing to um, around age 11 as being the time when they first became aware. You know, that they were um, that their sexual orientation or gender identity, um, you know, may not have been um, what uh, you know what most of their peers were.
1: Okay, so right. we're so we're gonna talk more about that and and, uh, and before we do that, let me just let listeners know that they're tuned into the Texas Conflict Coach Vlog Talk Radio Show and we're talking with Andrew Barnett with Smile. He's the executive director and they're located in the Washington DC area and we're talking specifically about some of the issues that come up for LGBTQ youth. And and so continuing our conversation about how is it different in today's time versus just a few years ago, you were mentioning, you know, we've got the Internet, we've got it much more recognized even in in the media and television, and you made reference to Glee and things of that nature. Say more about how it's different today than it was just a few years ago.
2: Well, I think that some of the biggest changes um, in terms of what LGBTQs are experiencing today as is they're, is they're growing up and coming out, you know, it has to do with the the... Increased visibility of the LGBT community in our popular culture. Um, it didn't used to be that you had, uh, you know, politicians talking about LGBT issues on the national stage, and now that's happening. You know, you didn't used to be able to tune on, tune into a primetime television show on a major network and see openly gay characters, and uh, and now you can. Now there's still a lot more to be done um, to increase visibility. Uh, when we go to we do cultural competency workshops um, where we train providers about LGBTQ youth issues, and when we do that, um, we talk about uh, homophobia and heterosexism and heterosexual privilege. And one of the main, you know, one major piece of heterosexual privilege is um, having access to a wide variety of role models both within one's community within one's family and in popular culture and we may have more folks who are openly lgbt you know whether they're actors whether they're um, other celebrities or or fictional characters but we still don't have enough um and we still don't have you know there's still a, a huge um, – the LGBT community is an incredibly diverse community, and uh, we still need more role models, you know, more people that LGBTQ youth from all, all different backgrounds can look to and say, oh, this person's story, you know, reminds me of my own, and, you know, I can be like this person when I grow up, and I can grow into being a happy, healthy adult,
1: so so even though we it seems like we've come a long way in in the sense of raising these issues and raising level of awareness in a national platform we're seeing more in television and we're seeing more movies we're seeing more in the media and we're seeing more role models i mean obviously there's a lot more that can be done have the have the issues and reactions around lgbt uh, to youth, change as far as in terms of the conflict uh, that might come out, has has that changed any? Or are we still seeing the same levels of uh, bullying and and reactions in schools? Can you can you speak to that?
2: Absolutely. And you know, some things have changed, and we have seen a lot of progress. And I think that we should all be excited about that. And some things have changed, and, and some things haven't. Um, having young people come out at age thirteen changes everything because. Uh, When youth are 13, they're in middle school. And, you know, that's a time that is is a very challenging time for for every young person and a time when a a lot of conflict can happen for any young person. And so when you throw into the mix, um, you know, a young person who might be struggling with coming out, with being LGBTQ, and, you know, classmates, um, peers who may have never met an openly LGBTQ person before, you know, you do get situations where bullying can happen, where teasing can happen, where harassment can happen, and we hear about those stories at SMILE. We also see that those stories reflected in the research that's available. The, and another huge difference is that the, you know, the way that teachers and adults, um, you know, whether it's a teacher in a classroom or a social worker in a community organization, the way they might mediate that conflict is very different when you're talking about young people who are 13, 14 versus young people who are 18 and 19. Um, the way that the uh, – when a young person comes out, it, it's, it's a huge process and step for that young person, and it also impacts their family. And, again, coming out at 13 is very different than coming out at 18, 19 for the family. Um, if you think about, uh, you know – Look back 10, 15 years ago, and the average age of coming out was early 20s. And by that point, a lot of young people, you know, have moved out of the house, whether they've gone to college, gotten a job, what have you. Um, a young person is 13 hasn't gone off to college and hasn't moved out of the house yet, hopefully. I mean, they shouldn't have. Um, and so uh, and there are many families that are, are very accepting and where the coming out process is a really positive one for everyone involved. And there are some families who, um, you know, really struggle with uh, with that process and some youth who encounter, you know, really heartbreaking levels of rejection from their parents.
1: You bring up something I wanted to actually go back to, and, and, and it kind of is a detour here, and that is the cue part of the questioning. When you have these 13-year-olds, these folks who are in middle school, do they ever come to smile as a way to get counseling during that questioning phase, because I'm sure there's a lot of internal conflicts as well for them. Do, do you guide them in those kind of conversations or, or in the rap groups as you are described earlier?
2: You know, We certainly do see youth who are coming to SMILE who are struggling with the coming out process in one way or another. That may be youth who have already come out to themselves, who, who know they're um, lesbian, gay, bisexual, or transgender, but have not yet come out to Certain key people in their lives, whether that's their parents, whether that's their classmates, their teachers, and so they may come to us struggling with, you know, how to negotiate that process. Um, when we are working with a young person, you know, through those sorts of issues, we're always really concerned about about their safety and also about, you know, empowering them to make the right decision for them. Um, we know that the decision to come out and to share one's LGBTQ identity is a, is a really personal decision. It's, it's one that everyone needs to make for themselves. Um, and we also, you know, work with young people to make sure that they're, you know, if there is some level of risk involved, whether it's, you know, um, not being certain that if they're out as an LGBTQ student in their school, that they will, you know, not, you know, they may be concerned about being bullied. They may be concerned about being um you know, physically harassed and assaulted. You know, we'll make sure that they're connected to resources so that they're, if they do encounter that, they have support. Um, in terms of youth who are still questioning, still really trying to figure out where they fit on the continuum, we absolutely do work with young people um, who are going through that, who are going through that process. And uh, you know, one of the really neat things about Smile is that. In some ways, our, our youth center is a really unique space for a lot of young people. And it's a place where they can, you know, where they can really figure out who they are and what feels right for them. And
1: Sounds um, kind of like a safe place.
2: <laughs> exactly. So we have a lot of young people who are still figuring out where, um, who may be figuring out where they fit on the gender identity continuum. And when we start our programs, we actually ask young people, when we're doing introductions, you know, whether we're doing a name game or just going around the room and, and sharing, you know, and saying hello to everybody and everyone's doing a check-in, we ask young know, people to share their preferred gender pronouns. Um, so they're, um, you know, telling their peers, and it's one of those things that a lot of us take for granted that, you know, folks will just know what what gender pronouns to use to refer to us. Mm-hmm. Um, That's not something that we should take for granted. It's not something that we should assume about people. So, um, We let young people tell us how they want to be, um, you know, how how they want us to refer to them. And we also give young people the space. You know, they might come to our youth center this afternoon and be presenting as a woman and um, want to use she, hers, and her for uh, their pronouns. And um, they might come to our program next week and be presenting more traditionally male and want to use him, his, and he for their pronouns. And we create a space where they can do that and figure out what feels right for them.
1: Oh, that's very interesting. We we, we actually talked a little bit about this, uh, you know, inviting people to tell us what pronoun they used last week's show, and it never would even occur to me to to ask someone that, uh, especially from that, you know, from the LGBT community. So that that's really interesting to hear this again. Uh, and, and, and you do it in a way that it allows them to question, to explore in a safe way, um, so that's that's really awesome. Now we're starting to um, come to, uh, as we near the end of our show, uh, I do want to talk about some strategies because I do know that with the LGBTQ youth dealing with some of these issues, especially ones that are dealing with some of this conflict, I know one of the biggest things I'll provide them is not only the support and the resources but skills to de-escalate conflicts as they occur. So what are some of these strategies? Uh, both for schools or parents or students in dealing with the conflict that comes up with these issues?
2: Well, there are lots of different ways that folks can, uh, you know, can help create a safe and affirming space for LGBTQ youth in in the school, in a community-based organization, and also things that parents can do. Um, In terms of students, uh, there are gay-straight alliances in a lot of local schools, both in the D.C. area and also all over the country. And these are student clubs. Um, they're not always called Gay Straight Alliances, but they they often are. These are student clubs that exist to create a safe space for lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, questioning, and straight ally students within a school. And uh, we call them GSAs for shorthand. GSAs can make a huge difference in terms of you're know, not only providing a supportive space for students who may who may feel like they're Totally alone in, in dealing with these issues. But they can also be involved in advocating for positive change within a school. That can include making sure that students are allowed to bring their same gender partners to the prom, just as folks can bring their opposite gender partners. Um, and then it can also include uh, making sure that a school has good policies and procedures in place to deal with bullying and harassment. We also, as I mentioned earlier, a smile work with teachers and other folks who work with youth about making their spaces safer and more affirming for LGBTQ young people. And one of the most important things that, I'd say there's two really important things that someone working with a young person can do. The first is to make sure that you address anti-LGBTQ behavior when it happens, whether that's in the classroom, in the hallway, in a youth center. Um, Unfortunately, negative, uh, derogatory terms for LGBTQ people are still really prevalent in in a lot of young people's vocabulary. So you know you can walk down the hallway of a local school and hear young people saying that's so gay to refer to something that's bad or to say no homo is also something that we hear a lot now. And often when we talk to teachers and other folks who work with youth, they say that they're not sure exactly how to respond to that. and you know they worry that saying something may be, giving it, um, you know, maybe calling more attention to the derogatory term and um, and ignoring it might be a better way of dealing with it. And what we say is it's really important to, you know, to make sure that 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 kind of language is not used in in a classroom or in a a space for young people. And what happens, just to respond to it the way you would um, to any other derogatory term, you know, whether and if there's... um, you know, if there's an appropriate punishment that would apply to other forms of derogatory language, then, you know, treat just the same way.
1: Okay. So you just brought up a really good point that I wasn't even aware of, and that is sometimes I'm unclear about what is – unless it's blatantly derogatory. So homo or that's, uh, or that's so gay um, – I would not have known if that was considered offensive or not offensive. So how do we learn about what's considered offensive?
2: Well, the other, well that's, a, that's a great question. I think that, um, you know, one thing is just to ask, ask people. And, you know, That's So Gay, for example, is something that, um, you know, because we also go out and do trainings with students, um, not just LGBT students, but all students about LGBTQ youth issues. And you know, sometimes we'll hear students say, "Well, when I say that's so gay, I don't mean um, I'm not talking about LGBTQ people. I'm just using another, you know, like another definition of the word." And um, and so, you know, one thing that we might say is, "Well, if you if you said, you know, if you, if the student's name is Joe and someone said that's so Joe to talk about something that was bad, you know, how would you feel over time?" Um, you, so there's no, you know, there's no um, sort of single rule I can give to, to figure out if something's derogatory, but just, you know, I, I think that the, um, you know, one thing to do is just to, to see what it, how it impacts a space, how it impacts young people within a space, and to think is this something that's going to make young people feel more included, feel more welcome, or make them feel isolated and
1: excluded. So if someone uses the term, uh, which I hear often and on, they they'll make, might make a reference to pretty boy or, um, oh, they've got their gaydar on. <laughs> I've heard those terms as well. Are those considered derogatory terms?
2: <laughs> I think it depends on who's using it and how they're using it.
1: Okay. Okay. So. So, again, I think part of it is, uh, for me, just even, uh, my own call to action (laughs) is to learn more about what is considered derogatory or offensive, and and part of it is just asking the person, is that considered offensive, and or observing, how is that person impacted? uh, Are they reacting to that negatively? Are they laughing with the person? You know, it's like no big deal. Because, uh, because, I, I, like I said, there's a lot of terminology. Like, I would have thought calling someone queer would have been offensive, and yet some people in the community identify with that. So I think some of that is part of the confusion for those who aren't in the LGBT community to understand what is, you know, how do we break some of these misunderstandings. So I'm glad we're having this conversation today about that.
2: Yeah, and I'm glad you bring that up. I think that, you know, two points I would want to make is, one is that, um you know, language is – and this was my other big point for working with – for folks to work with youth is to, um, you know, to know that youth language is always shifting, and if a youth ever uses a term and you're not sure what it means, you know, always feel free to ask them. But, um, you know, talking about things like That's So Gay uh, and, and Queer, you know, language changes – language can mean very different things based on who is saying it and who they're saying it to, and what their connection um, to the community is. With the term queer, when we go out and do our trainings, we tell folks there are some members of the LGBTQ community who identify with queer, who have reclaimed that term and, um, you know, use it to describe themselves, use it to describe their community. And there are also folks who have, you know, who still associate that term with um you know, with discrimination and harassment they, they may have faced in their lives mm-hmm. and who find that term very offensive. And so with that term specifically, we, we often caution folks who are not a member of the LGBTQ community not to use it unless the young person has told them that this is how they want to be described.
1: Okay. Now, so it's, it's really it's about being curious. It's about asking. It's about checking in. It's about listening. It's about observing. So when you talked about for schools, those in the community and stuff to, you know, don't let these anti-LGBTQ behaviors, you know, slide by, Uh, and some of them tend to do that, that ignoring. Part of it is also observing and understanding, you know, they might not recognize that it's anti-behavior. And so so that's what brought that up for me is how do I know? Uh, And so part of it is, like you said, through that observation, being curious, asking questions and and, and just raising your own level of awareness uh, around that what about
2: absolutely And and we're all still learning
1: yeah it sounds like it's ever changing and you know hey teenagers are always changing the culture the language whether they're lgbt or not and so there's the uniqueness of lgbtq youth uh so that you know it's just natural i mean even I mean, I don't have any children, and so when I'm talking to my nieces and nephews who are in middle school and high school and they're using language, I'm like, what did they just say to me? Right. (laughs) I imagine that's the same thing, that the language is ever-changing and the people are identifying in different ways, and so so I appreciate this conversation. Now, do you have any uh, strategies for parents?
2: For parents, I think the most important thing is just to, you know, there's been – some really exciting research in the last couple of years that has shown us that parents can make a huge impact on on the outcomes of their young people, which, I mean, makes sense. Uh, The research is through the Family Acceptance Project and Dr. Caitlin Ryan um, out of San Francisco State University. And what it shows us is that for young people who are LGBTQ, those who come from families that exhibit more accepting behavior are less likely to encounter all of those risk factors we talked about at the beginning of the program. They're less likely to um, engage in suicidal risk behavior. They're less likely to engage in HIV and STD risk behavior. And they're more likely to think they can grow up and, and be happy, healthy adults. And so for parents who have a child who's LGBTQ, you know, I think one strategy that they could use is to, you know, get support reach out to um, their local PFLAG chapter. There's chapters all over the country. Um, you know, find organizations that um, that provide support for parents of LGBTQ youth and and learn from, you know, learn from other parents how they can make, you know, make sure that they're supporting their child in a way that's really going to, you know, help that child grow into being a happy, healthy adult.
1: Now this organization for parents again. Can you spell it out?
2: Sure, it's PFLAG. P F L A G.
1: And it stands for
2: Parents and Friends of Lesbians and Gays.
1: Okay, and I know you said that earlier, but I wanted to make sure they heard it again so they can uh, Google that. Uh, and because a lot of parents might not even know that that exists. And as you said, there's chapters nationally. Are, are they known internationally as well, or just nationally?
2: Um, I believe just nationally.
1: Okay, all right, so here in the United States, because I know we have a lot of international listeners as well. Okay, so we have the strategies for the, the areas, you know, for the students uh, as far as, you know, finding out what are the student clubs that, that or known as GSA, Gay Trade Alliances, that they can become part of in their schools um, to reach out to organizations like SMILE. Uh, now, SMILE, you're, you pretty much just work the D.C. area, but I would assume that there are other Similar nonprofits in the United States that do work like yourself—is that right?
2: That is correct. There's organizations all over this country and actually all over the world that work with LGBTQ youth. And so, you know, for young people out there, um, uh, there are a lot of a lot of place, a lot of safe spaces where they can get support.
1: Okay, that's that's awesome. Now uh, we usually close the uh, call with a call to action or assignment for the week. So, what do you have for our listeners today?
2: I think the call to action really depends on, you know, who who I'm talking to. Um, for the good news is that everybody, um, every member of our community can help make our community a safer uh, space for lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and questioning youth. For students who are LGBTQ and those who are not, you know, they can get involved in the Gay Straight Alliance. They can commit to you know, not using derogatory language in their schools. They can, you know, let their friends and their peers know that they're an ally to LGBTQ youth. And they can also learn more about these issues and learn more about specifically how they can be an ally and what do these different terms mean and, you know, what are the sorts of issues that their peers who are LGBTQ are going through. Uh, For folks who work with youth, you know, they can get training. They can make sure that their school or their after-school program or their, you know, uh, agency is a safe space for LGBTQ youth. And, you know, for parents, they can go ahead and get support and get information. I think that, you know, probably the, the key takeaway is to, you know, for anybody to get more information about the LGBT community and about LGBTQ young people and uh, find ways in their life that they can make changes to make, you know, whether it's their school, whether it's their um, their peer group, they can help create a safer space for LGBTQ youth.
1: Okay, great. Now, SMILE does training and presentations. So say more about uh, the organization as far as if someone wants to reach out to you for presentations, learning more, uh, including any, uh, because I know that you also accept donations. Can you say just a little bit about that?
2: Absolutely. So we're we're headquartered in Washington, D.C., right by the Eastern Market Metro Station for folks who know the city. And we provide cultural competency training for anybody who works with young people. That includes teachers, social workers, police officers, court officials, anybody who works with youth. And um, we also are a 501c3 nonprofit organization, so do rely on support from the community to keep our programs for LGBTQ youth running strong. So if folks want to get more information about our training program or to find out how to make a secure online contribution, they can go to our website at www.smyal.org.
1: ORG, great. Okay. All right. Well, uh, Andrew, I'd like for you, if you have any final message you want to leave with listeners, and then we'll close for our show.
2: Absolutely. My final message is that so much has changed in our community for LGBTQ People and for LGBTQ youth in particular. And although we have seen tremendous progress and we see so much more visibility uh, for LGBT issues on the national stage than we did five, ten years ago, we still have a long way to go before we make our community a, a place that is safe and affirming for all of our young people. And we know that in spite of the tremendous progress we have made, our young people who are LGBTQ are still at increased risk for a number of negative health outcomes. So all of us need to do our part to make our community a safer space for LGBTQ youth and to make sure that we're supporting this population that so often gets overlooked and so often feels so isolated.
1: Mm, Absolutely. Well, this has been a really informational, educational show for me and the listeners. I am absolutely sure of that. And I'm so glad that you were part of our LGBT series. In fact, you're ending our LGBT series. And I'm so honored that you joined us to tell us a lot about the work that you're doing with SMILE. Um, I've just learned so much, and it really encourages me to learn more uh, as well. So thank you so much for doing this.
2: Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a great opportunity, and I've really enjoyed the
0: conversation.
1: Oh, you're so welcome.
0: Thank you for listening to the Texas Conflict Coach. We hope you've enjoyed the program. You can find over 300 podcasts archived to listen at your own convenience at texasconflictcoach.com or download the podcast at iTunes or Stitcher Radio. To learn about upcoming radio programs and resources, sign up for our monthly e newsletter.